0: Part four, to build and evolve your machine.
1: Manage as someone operating a machine to achieve a goal.
0: So yeah, uh, we'll start with the first uh, couple here. Um, Number one, look down on your machine and yourself within it from a higher level. And then number two, remember that for every case you deal with, your approach should have two purposes. To move you closer to your goal and to train and test your machine, i.e. your people and your design. So the machine, while it might be abstract, it might be, um, you know, some my people might say it's heartless to think of your people as cogs and not, you know, actual people. Uh, that's what they're doing, right? It's, it's, it's how are those efforts and those people's time being put collectively towards a common purpose to succeed, right? And when people feel that they are... You know, not only are their efforts um, going towards a greater purpose, but also that they are um, in community, like you've been saying, uh, is, is when you're going to get the best, you know, out of people. Right. And, and when you're trying to evaluate someone's efforts and their time and their energy put into your project, what were those, you know, other circumstances like for them? you know were they in a place of good community were they given all the tools that they need to succeed and 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 have that go towards your opinion of what was done and how it was
2: executed? well i think you know the example that he's using of a machine is more because it's very easily for people to picture whether it's an engine or whether it's voltron that was only super powerful when you had all the pieces of voltron love together. the
3: voltron rest re- yep. reference man i was a big fan
2: yep yuli's like i have no idea what voltron is <laughs> It, it basically, there was you know multiple you know people that you know
0: pre you
3: know, Power Rangers.
2: Right.
0: And I was gonna say that's that's the my Power generation Power is proto Power Rangers. It's
2: just like Power Rangers, and when it all comes together, it forms you know the the super fighting robot. And so when you're thinking about your organization as a machine, it helps people understand that if they're the pistons in their lane, that if they you know don't exist, then the whole machine fails. So, you know, there's I think there's a very human element that's apl- you know applicable and it's just simply something that allows people to picture it.
0: Well, and I think another thing, too, is once you I think another, you know, negative emotion uh, that can kind of come up from it is when the person who's being labeled as a part in the machine, you know, then they, then they see a wider vision of what's going on, right? And I'm just going to lead to number three here, uh, which is understand the difference between managing, micromanaging, and not managing. So when you have someone that's in a position that, you know, doesn't like being micromanaged, but yet they need it to get to where they're going, these are some red flags that you need to understand that this might be not the best position or this might be not right with the person for the job. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, it's the beautiful art of being a manager Um, to both recognize all of those moving parts, uh, you know, kind of working all at once, and then also being able to test that person uh, and and see if the theories that you come up with, uh, you know, have merit. And, you know, the, the roles and responsibilities you're giving that person is right for them. Well, and if you're running a company and you're spending your time
2: micromanaging an employee, what you're really doing is, you know, running an employee and not a business. And as soon as you are able to identify people that need to be
0: micromanaged, get them the hell out. Absolutely. On to number four, we look at know what your people are like and what makes them tick because your people are your most important resource. Um, and I think that was last book uh, with essentialism, that people are the plan, right? Your, your machine are the people. How how things move from point A to point B is from the input of the people that you're working with.
3: And also that's where all your points of failure lie most of the time is like everything could be perfect, but the execution or just, you know, I could use sympathy or emotion to like break the machine somehow. And so, yeah, that's your linchpin right there.
0: Well, even in science, I think, what is it? It's There's human error and then there's like... Uh, s- you know, measurement error. So, like, if you're, you know, taking a piece of rock and you're measuring it, well, there's there's only so much that you can read of it, and there's only the capacity of the machine reading the, the measure. So it's being able to assess both, that, you know, there's there's fault both on the system and on the person.
2: Well, well being able to you know, make sure that you're always taking people's temperature and, and, and seeing where they are. I, I love what they do at Netflix in the respect that there's no scheduled vacation. You're just supposed to take it. And you can take as long of a vacation as you want. You don't need anybody's permission. You know, the only rules are is if you taking a vacation is going to affect your team, you know, then it's probably not a good idea to take, you know, vacation at that point. Great. But they, they say if you're, you know, you're if you're a manager, you're expected to take, you know, take vacation. You're, you're not, you know, you're not supposed to be working on vacation and you better come back with lots and lots of pictures of you on vacation because it teaches everybody else in the organization that it's okay to take time off, to recharge. And, like, if you don't have that time to re-energize yourself in, in doing something completely outside of work, then uh, essentially that part of your machine is going to combust and the whole thing's going to break down.
0: Well, and that leads to, uh, you know, The recognize and deal with key man risk, right? And when you put your people into positions where too much of the responsibility is on them and the the design of the system is faulty because you have that problem. You have someone doing too much. And eventually, over time, they will fail unless you give them a space to recharge, recoup, uh, and enjoy what they're doing, right? Um, And ultimately... you know, regardless of how strong a person's will is or whatever it is that we're we're all human at the end of the day. And, you know, if, if put into, um, too hard of a scenario and that there's no additional support to get them out of it, that they will crumble over time. Well,
2: people go from being
0: passionate
2: about their career or their work, you know, to it just being a job. And when things just become a job, um, it's when things get ugly.
3: That's why I think you need that high level perspective. You can't just be stuck in the forest, you know, like you have to get out to the Valley to see what's going on in your own life. And as well as, um, <clears throat> being a leader of a company too, you know, and I could have lots of stories myself, but, you know, also evaluating yourself, like would I hire myself to do this if I was somebody else and just separate the, the people from the problem kind of thing, and just try to zoom out from yourself and zoom out from the company. And without that that degree of separation i think you're kind of blind
2: yeah you, you, i mean you have to pay attention to your people you know it's it's a human business and success of organizations is based on the health and the mental wellness of each person that's involved with it and i think it's one of those things that f- does fall squarely on the soul you know on the shoulders of the leader is to make sure that everybody is functioning and existing at a high level
3: one of the things I like that Ray did is he approached seemingly every single problem as an opportunity for a solution. And so he just ran across a tons of problems and then organized the problems into a constructive way and wrote this book on, and, you know, of course built his empire too, but like, man, now the problems he's, he's totally re-shifted them into this is how it's going to be in the machine. It's almost an input into what we're doing. Well, and I think
0: it's something that's interesting to, uh, to bring up like, uh, you know, the, the hierarchy of needs, right? Yeah. And once you've reached the pinnacle, what what people that have achieved, um, you know, a ton of success is what they do is they try to give that to others, right? They try to give you the playbook so that you can then, you know, potentially help someone that's trying to get to the top. And, you know, even if you don't get that recognition is that you're, you're ultimately putting good out in the world in ways that you will never really fully understand. So, um, you know, it's... It's a a noble cause to try to, you know, get people uh, to change their ways of thinking and to, uh, you know, arm them with uh, wisdom and experience that they wouldn't have otherwise. But, um, you know, there's only so much that we can do in our own spots and, you know, just be comfortable that you're, you know, the intent and the ultimate reason why you're doing things is good.
2: Well, when he writes, you know, be weak and strong at the same time as a leader, it reminds me of, you know, Brene Brown when she writes about, you know, the – there is no vulnerability without great courage, and you know, when you think about you know people in combat situations, you know, you don't typically think of Marines as being vulnerable. But think about like what it takes to throw yourself in the line of fire. You know, f- you know, have the courage to take a bullet for the person that's in the foxhole with physically you. vulnerable every Physical day. Physical vulnerability, and so when that that vulnerability is something that people recognize and see in you, then that becomes your strength.
3: And it's also the truth, right? Because we all know we have vulnerability. So if you have the courage to speak up and and say that, and not everybody sees that, yeah. Great Brene Brown reference. Thanks, brother. Right,
0: and uh, taking us to number eleven here: perceive and don't tolerate problems. Um, And I think it's uh, you know it goes again to that great balance of being able to uh, you know get to the root causes of what why these things are happening, um, but then also equipping the people within your machine the wherewithal to not tolerate the problems the way you don't. Right? Because if you're just somebody that sees a problem but that don't You know, have other people that are within your machine being able to identify or fully understand the problem the way you do, then then it's your fault as a leader. And if you just become the guy barking orders, saying everything is wrong, then you know eventually that's going to get old.
3: Well, because you want to teach them how to fish too, right? You don't just want to. I I like just eleven point one. If you're not worried, you need to worry. And if you're worried, you don't need to worry. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man.
0: Uh, so yeah. Um, let's go to, uh, yeah. Number 12 here, uh, right. Diagnose problems to get to the root causes. And we'll start with the first one to diagnose. Well, ask the following question, is the outcome good or bad? Who is responsible for the outcome? And if the res- outcome is bad, is the responsible party incapable or is the design
1: bad? Yeah. I mean, just going back to connecting that with, uh, earlier in the podcast, we talked about, um, the five whys and really breaking it down. Um, and this is another way of of breaking it down, right? So, um, whether the outcome is good or bad and, and who was involved, um, why, right? Why were we successful? Why was this, you know, why didn't this happen, et cetera, et cetera.
4: Yeah. That sentence right there, what, um, what Don read and what Yuli's saying basically is really just a quick and dirty um, root cause analysis method. You know, it's um, and that's obviously what what Ray cares more about than anything else is root causes of things. That's going to be how you can affect the the best and most lasting change.
2: Well, and he writes a lot about you know. The, the things you should avoid in the, you know, the no, I told you so's or the Monday morning quarterbacking, you know, the types of like, here's what I would have done differently. Like, n- that's what your parents do. Nobody likes to be in a work environment and have somebody treat them like they were their son or their daughter. Um, that's something you can do at the house, but let's actually focus on what is the solution and making sure we build something, you know, that can react to if this problem occurs again.
0: Oh, it's even worse. with the people that are given that criticism, but that don't either a play a game, role in the game, but then B don't have any solutions that are actually usable. <laughs> then you're dealing with this naysayers. naysayers, baby. All right. On to 13 again. Um, Design improvements to your machine to get around your problems, right? Uh, And we'll go for the first couple here. Uh, So build your machine is number one. Number two is systemize your principles and how they will be implemented. Number three here is remember that a good plan should uh, resemble a movie script. Um, You know, and what's funny about that, it goes back to our joke uh, with uh, the Lord of the Rings and my uh, company, is that just it's easy to... um, you know get overwhelmed and flooded by all the stresses of running a company but you know to inject some silliness into it and uh you know every story goes through the same journey right and whether you're telling it through the lens of lord of the rings or star wars or your own life right you're gonna just come see the commonalities uh, amongst it all so Just being someone that's a Lord of the Ring nerd, uh, it's just a way to bring some humor into what you're going through.
2: Well, and going back to what you were just talking about and, like, the people that, you know, want to bitch about problems but don't actually want to be, you know, a solution to those or that aren't even in there with you. You know, something that I sent you guys the other day was, you know, another Brene Brown quote reading her book. um, And it says, if you're not in the arena getting your ass kicked on occasion, then I'm not interested in or open to your feedback. There are a million cheap seats in the world today filled with people who will never be brave with their lives but who will spend every ounce of energy they have hurling advice and judgment at those who dare greatly. Their contributions are criticism, cynicism, and fear-mongering. So if you aren't in that foxhole fighting with me, I don't give a shit what you have to say.
3: You're not believable.
2: That's yep, <laughs> the believability
0: index.
3: That's, that's awesome, yeah.
0: Cool, man. So we'll take that to step 14 here and and do what you set out to do, right? And, you know, I'm going to give some props to you, Grant. Uh, This is, you know, you you, you set yourself a lofty goal in starting a restaurant. You did
3: it, you know? Well, you know, so my biggest fear in life was dealing with the health department. I've been wanting to do that for like 10 years, but I've just... When I was doing my research and my due diligence, I just didn't find a lot of positive stories about the government, you know? And I was just like, B- these bastards. I even went to work with, like, the government to, like, figure out their internal processes and stuff and to be a real estate investor. Long story short, I realized I couldn't live with fear and that regret was the biggest fear I'd ever have. And what I didn't want to do was be like, man, I just i have already wasted 10 years. I've wasted my whole life now to look back and say I've never done it. Um, And I thought, this is a great time to get in there and fail and just take on as much as I possibly can so that I could, you know, learn as much as I can. Um, And I certainly learned a lot. (laughs) (laughs) So one of my... um, The reason why I like principles is because my two favorite quotes are, and I think I shared them before, but the first one is, um, life is the only game where the goal is to learn the rules. And the second one is, you can't break the rules, you can only break yourself against them. And so... Ray is dedicated to learning the rules, the principles, and to uh, sharing them with others and providing a space to where those uh, come to the surface. That's great information,
0: man. And it's, uh, you know, it goes back to, right, the idea of meritocracy. You know, Ray's putting forth these principles, and he's trying to say, hey, man, like, I don't know shit. And I got to where I got to because I don't know shit. But here's my opinion anyway. And he's taking... Uh, both that humility, um, and then that insane, uh, you know, passion to find the truth, but then to then give it to other people. Right. I mean, all he's asking for is maybe what, 20 bucks to buy the book, you know, that's all, that's all it's required. And then it's up to you to go into it and, you know, pull out the information and use it in your daily life.
2: It's just like we were talking about earlier with the people that you pour all this time in it, you know, where you care more about what they're doing than they do. So, you know, when you get a book like this or anything else, you know, you can choose to speed read through it for the accomplishment of, I read this book, or you can go into it and, like, how can I soak up as much of this stuff and practice these principles in the, the way that I conduct my affairs?
1: Yeah, that's something that I've noticed with these past few podcasts that we've done is, yeah, I mean, we're reading them, you know, and, 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 you know, we have to read them in order to do the podcast. But I think just doing this conversation, um, it really helps, just like a understanding on a deeper level and just really dissecting it. And um, you know, we hope that that's the effect uh, that we're giving off to anybody who is listening to these podcasts.
0: Well, and I think it's it goes back to the graphs and charts principle, right? If you're if you're spending all this time to conduct a study, you're trying to illustrate a uh, not fully understand idea to the general public, right? And by seeing the graphs and the charts, you're giving that idea to somebody else. And it applies to the books, right? The I- the ideas or the graphs and the charts are the principles within the books that you're soaking out and then now equipping other people, the framework to rationalize the things going on in their life. So it's, uh, you know, it's it's why we do this podcast. It's why I love these books. It's because you're, you're gaining knowledge that is hard to find. It's hard to apply, but it's ultimately going to be what, you know, takes your growth to the next level.
3: And I've never seen any book like this where it talks because to me, this book's basically about integrity and he's like, Hey, let's take integrity. Here's what it looks like on a really micro scale and take it all the way to the most macro scale, which is like, you know, building a whole company. And then he talks about also his struggles with handing over, um, you know, leadership of the company when the time and just how that was a whole thing too. So, um, I haven't seen it taken as far and as wide and as deep as raised on it.
0: And what's interesting about that is what you showed me the other day is that they've they lost hand over fist last year, um, and that was right as they handed off the company, right? Yeah,
2: they. I mean, you know, it was a, a, a he didn't call it right, and that that's that happens. And I think one of the things you have to be, you know, okay with sometimes is not always getting it completely right, but being able to go on from that and saying. Now what do we do about it? And I think you brought up an interesting point, Yuli, because, you know, you were like, yeah, the intention of these podcasts is, is obviously to talk about the books, but the discussion is what really helps us grow. And And I thought it would be interesting to kind of hear each of your perspectives around, like, you know, Grant, how did you grow as a result of reading this book? Like, when you walk away from it, like, what are the things that are going to always stay implanted in you?
3: Yeah, so... <clears throat> I read another book called um, Blue Fishing. And uh, the thing I remember from that one is he says, people drowned not from getting in the water, but from staying in the water. And I feel like all of the tools and techniques in this book, as well as this personal example, helps me um, gain tools and context to get out of the water. So, for example, um, fast food. I'm driving by, see the fast food, and then in my mind, I have the framework now to say, that's a first order um, impulse. What's my second and third order goals right now? And previously I may be stuck in um, a more shallower state of mind. (laughs) So that's one of them. The second one is just knowing that this is possible is like the four minute mile for me. And so like now that Ray's done it, I'm like, I have to have it too, and I won't settle for less. And uh, the other one is just the, trying to make things another one of those through uh, documenting the process, um, looking for the truth and then figuring out like what tool could solve this problem next time and so I could just have a monster key ring and go through life opening doors
1: um, I think for me is more from a uh, communication standpoint and really being transparent in any uh, relationship or just any endeavor that you are in um i think being young i tried to tend to avoid confrontation but i think now it's like you're approaching it from a, a point of you're detaching yourself from it right it's it's not personal personal it's not um uh, emotional it, it's just for the betterment of everyone and every everything that's involved and um seeking that thing of like okay i'm wrong tell me how i'm wrong you know let me grow from it and uh, you know let's all grow together and, and and everything that we're doing, you know, let's, let's improve it.
4: Um, for me, so I'm coming from a place where, um, I've read dozens, if not hundreds of self-development books, um, things that are concrete, things that are abstract like this here. Um, and there wasn't too much in this that was new to me. So I had kind of heard it a little before, but what I got out of this book is, kind of in affirming of things that I've already read. So having somebody like Ray Dahlia, who's had a lot of success implementing these principles, reaffirms things that you may have heard elsewhere beforehand. So it's like, because all these books, they're all talking about the same universal truth. Like they're all all talking about the same abstract principle. Maybe it's so abstract, you can't put it into words. Maybe it's so abstract, you can't even truly know it as it really is. Uh, But they're all pointing back to the same thing. Um, so to have somebody else who's had success with that, that universal truth, um, writing a book about it and hearing these things again is very valuable.
0: And for me, I mean, uh, it makes me think of two things. Um, you know, there's a, there's something that, you know, is a common thing in life. It's like, you know, be careful wish, what you wish for, because you might eventually get it. Right. So that goes to me being uh, a CEO of a company. You know, I wanted to run a company, I wanted to do a startup so bad, and um, I was on my uh, trip in Paris uh, and met Tim Ferriss, my idol in entrepreneurship, and um, I remember asking him a question. It was, okay, if you're, um, you know, in a startup and seeking investment, what book do you need to read? And I didn't even have a startup idea. I knew nothing, but I knew I wanted to be in a startup and get into entrepreneurship so bad, and he gave me the book Effective Executive, which is on our list. Um, you know, so there's that part. And then secondly, it's, uh, you know, I feel like this book is like a player's handbook for running a company and running a group of people, right. And being a CEO. So, um, while it might be the hardest job that exists in the world, it's also doable, Right. And it's doable if you follow these principles, it's doable if you do things the right way, it's doable if you build the people and manage them correctly, but also give people excitement and, you know, get them bought into the mission that, you know, while, you know, some problems are incredibly difficult, like taking people to Mars or implanting microchips in monkey's brains but there's someone out there that's, tr- that's actually trying this and succeeding. And you'd be surprised where if that is put forth and you do things the right way, the, what you can accomplish is anything.
2: Yeah. And I guess the thing that really you know resonated with me and, you know, whenever I read books about people that are, you know, at the pinnacle of success, I'm just reminded that like often the people that we put up on these lofty pedestals are very human and you know, the, the thing that I was surprised about because I've been exposed to the financial industry and the egos and the, you know, the forces that, I mean, money dominates most people's obsession that, you know, Dalio is humble and he's human and Bridgewater to him was a family. And I think when we cultivate, you know, our, our business relationships, like we would try to cultivate healthy relationships in our family, um, There's something special there and there's something very unique because we, we forget, you know, that if you approach your life with, you know, love and kindness and humility and open communication, um, that, that, that's what you need.
3: And to me, the end is like, you know, uh, good teams win championships,
0: Oh yeah, baby! And that's
3: what Ray Dalio is doing here. It's not he's not just one all star going after it alone, you know. Dude, and this is the playbook to do
0: that. Yeah, job, like good old <laughs> Bill Belichick. <laughs> if you can see it on my shirt, it's New England versus everybody. That's five to call it six championships now by uh, by us in the last twenty years. Brady got his seventh. That's okay, but you know I'm gonna have to throw in Mr. TB12, the greatness, the goat. But at the end of the day, it's the system and the man running the show. So we're coming back, Cam Newton all day, defense all day, Pats all day. You hear me? Closing yeah. that out. And that's why it's been ten years since the
2: Celtics have won anything.
0: Hey man.
3: <laughs> <laughs> hey man, don't end my podcast
0: on a downer, sabbatical. bro. Yeah.
4: <laughs> they needed to take a sabbatical. Exactly, they yeah, needed we, a sabbatical we, from winning. They were running out of banner space in the stadium. Yeah,
0: we we you know we can't dominate every sport, even Excuses though we did for twenty years.
4: Excuses are like championships. I have tons of them. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's a wrap,
3: guys. Well played. Close it.
0: Stay
1: tuned um,
0: for the next hiring for attitude, Um, and it's going to be about how to build those teams and get the people inserted into the principal-lated system,
1: uh, and get that uh, you know machine of success running. Yeah. And one more thing before we close um if you want to connect with us we're gonna have some resources linked down in the show notes as well that we talked about throughout these sections um and if you heard something valuable that you could share with a friend or family member send them the link and uh, yeah peace out guys